Hi, Kelly. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. Thanks for joining today. Absolutely. All right. So this is, uh, I believe it's episode six with the Live Good, Live Well podcast. And we have Kelly Lynch on with the Anapology Project. And uh, today we will be talking about self-care after going through uh, some life trauma. And last time we talked about going through some rough relationships and uh, kind of the lessons that come from that. And um, now we're going to be talking about the other side, the self-care part of it, which you and I both agree that it it often is portrayed on social media, you know, for Instagram photos as getting a massage or, you know, having a spa day once a week. And in reality, while those things are helpful, they're not... Um, they're not the, the norm for most people. Um, so we could probably start by going through a few things that you and I do for self-care just to give some examples and then, uh, and then dive Absolutely. a little bit deeper into the, the what, why, and how often and what we get out of it. Yeah. For sure. So uh, what do you do um, kind of on a daily or weekly or even monthly uh, routine for self-care and how did you get into it and how did you um, – I guess, how did it become uh, into your awareness that it was, that it was a necessity for you? So where, well, there's a lot of reasons for it. So where I begin though, is really just talking about the difference between what self-care is, self-love is, and then self-indulgence is. Um, When I think about these concepts in the process of how do you come out of something that's really toxic or a really unhealthy phase or stage of your life and figuring out how to recover from traumatic experiences. The first place that my head goes to is, well, how can I just love myself better? And self-love to me is a mindset. It's a belief system around what am I doing and what purpose is that serving for me and why am I doing it? And so then it it folds into self-care, which is really a behavior. Self-care is how we tend to our our basic needs, just as human beings. Um, But then how do we tend to the needs that we have as not just um, organisms, but as emotional creatures too. The, The thing that you know, in going through my own process of coming out of a really toxic relationship and healing from what that looked like, the the thing that I really had to take time to understand was the difference between self-care and self-indulgence. And self-care really is something that is nurturing to who we are and what we are versus self-indulgence is kind of the the shiny, the shiny thing, the the shiny object syndrome of let me go maybe spend money recklessly on something that I don't really have the money to spend on. Uh, Or let me go indulge in my appearance when maybe the appearance isn't the thing that's really going to help me feel better. It's the taking care of my body in a way that's nurturing, that's going to feel better, make me feel better. You you know what I mean? So in going through my own process of this, some of the things that I do on a daily basis are just making sure that I'm getting Um, adequate sleep. You know, everything is harder when we're tired. Our brains have to work on overdrive just to be able to process basic information 
um, if we are overly fatigued. So the, the average adult needs about seven to nine hours of sleep every single night. And while, while it matters to focus on the, the quantity of sleep that we get, it also matters to focus on the quality of sleep. So something that I talk about with my clients a lot is not just how much are they sleeping, but what's their sleep environment like? You know, if you're walking into your bedroom and feeling stressed out because your bed isn't made or it's messy and you've got clothes all over the floor or just it just feels like a chaotic environment, you're going to go to bed feeling chaotic and then you're probably not going to sleep well. So sleep matters. I make sure that my sleep environment is tidy and put together all the time because that helps me feel peaceful as soon as I walk in there. Uh, Feeding ourselves really well matters so much. You know, there's, if you look at the, the nutrition and fitness world, there's so many people who really emphasize that our gut, our, our whole GI system, is kind of like your second brain because so many of the, the chemicals that your brain needs in order to process information, those chemicals are manufactured in your, in your gut system. So if your gut health isn't good, your brain health is going to suffer as a result. I love this. I and love both so, of these topics. I think they're so spot on. And just from a, an information consumer, uh, such as myself, mm-hmm. trying to always figure out like, what, what can I do better in, in various areas across my life? These two, I think are at the for, one of the forefronts of, of health and wellness right now. So I love that you brought these up. Absolutely. You know, it's, and especially in our country where we are inundated with this highly processed food like McDonald's and Panera and whatever, I I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but um, it's, it's not good for us. We're not feeding ourselves well. And if we don't feed ourselves well, then our brains aren't going to be working the way that we really need them to. But people shy away from talking about this kind of stuff because it's not glamorous, right? These are basics. And the, but the more we do the basics, the better we're going to end up feeling, Certainly. you know, self-care doesn't end up, self-care isn't something that needs to be complicated. Now I'm a big fan of simple is better. Um, and if we, if we keep our self-care practices as simple as possible, then they're easily managed, number one. And then number two, it's easy to get into a routine with them that we can really sustain. Absolutely. For me, one of my um, simplicity factors is water. I drink water as much as possible when, when we're going yeah. to, say, have dinner at a, at a friend's house or something like that and... They ask, mm-hmm. you know, what do you like to drink? My answer is always water. And yeah. it's easily accessible everywhere. It's good for us. It's one of the the least offensive um, things that we can drink, I'll say, because it's not filled with sugar. We could get into the quality mm-hmm. of, say, tap and bottled water and things like that. But at the end of the day, water is, uh, is one of the things that I simplified my life with uh, many years ago. So um, I, I fully agree with you on that front. Absolutely. And I, most of us are walking around dehydrated. So I, I, I saw a meme on Facebook a while ago saying that we're, we're basically highly emotional houseplants mm-hmm. and that we just need to water ourselves more. Yeah. 
So yeah, I, I totally agree. How did you get into um, understanding what worked for your sleep environment? How did you, do you think that having a, a neat and tidy sleep environment is the right thing for everyone? Or do you think that um, from some, for some folks, it might be a little bit more, uh, say, cozy and cluttered would be productive? I think this is a completely subjective process. So discovering what worked well for me really required me to develop a practice of mindfulness that was super, super consistent. And all mindfulness is, is just a state of being aware in the present moment of how you feel in relation to what's going on around you. So the more I paid attention to how I felt when I was in different kinds of environments, the more I started to realize, okay, this thing works well for me versus this thing that doesn't really feel like a good fit. And every single person is gonna have a different answer for this. You know, when I get up in the morning, I, I'm now in the habit, I didn't always do this, but I'm now in the habit of one of the first things I do as soon as my feet hit the floor in the morning is I make my bed. Because if I do nothing else in that day, making my bed makes me feel accomplished, like I at least did that one thing. And then walking into my bedroom at the end of the day, I like the way my bed looks and it makes me feel calm and happy. And, but I would not have discovered that without mindfulness first. Sure. So I think that if, if somebody realizes through a practice of mindfulness that, you know, more of a cluttered environment, but cluttered in their specific way is what works best for them, that's okay. It's just a matter of figuring out what's the best right fit for you. Fully agree. Uh, for myself, I like to have a couple of books around the bed. Um, I actually mm-hmm. don't read in bed that much, um, but for me, it's a... I guess it's a crutch. Like if I wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep, I always have a book there. And so, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's, it's something in replace of, uh, picking up my phone or, um, Mm -hmm. getting up to, you know, go watch TV or something like that. I used to do that uh, when I was younger, I would just watch TV in the middle of the night, you know, and basically all that was on back then was infomercials and, you know, those aren't entertaining for anyone. So, um, now, right. so I kind of, um, I guess, mitigated that risk with uh, with just having a couple of books around the bed. And like I said, I never actually wake up and, and read at that hour. I'm usually able to go back to sleep if I wake up at all. But uh, just mm-hmm. being mindful of kind of my, my habits and tendencies and, and trying to get ahead of those and put healthier things into place. Uh, with With all things, I like to replace instead of take away or add to you instead mm-hmm. of take away that way we're, we're always in a feeling of, you know, there's, there's more than enough and instead of a place of lack or, you know, feeling like, um, you know, there's just not enough to go around. So I think that's a, I think, yeah, go ahead. That's a great way to think about it actually of, you know, how, how can you really make sure that everything that you're surrounding yourself by is feeling like it's, it's, exactly what you're looking for so that it's nurturing. So replacing instead of taking away is I think a great way to reframe that. Certainly. Same thing with, uh, with drink some water. I used to drink, um, a lot of sodas, uh, you know, when I was a, mm-hmm. a teenager in early twenties and then when I was 25, I had kidney stones and that was one of the major contributing factors. So I had, I had already cut back quite a lot then, but after that, 
it's a very rare occasion that I'll, I, I drink a carbonated um, soft drink. So uh, that was one of the things that, you know, I just replace. I didn't, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything if I'm drinking, you know, uh, a gallon of water a day. Uh, I feel very hydrated and, and good and alert at the end of the day. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And so I always try to encourage that because a, it's, it's very inexpensive. It's good for us. You know, there's a list longer than we could we could talk about in this episode about the benefits of of just you know that simple thing that everybody has access to absolutely so going into food how you're a busy woman um you're a single mom with a little one you're always on the go Mm -hmm. how do you eat well um in the modern world i food prep so food prepping is, there really isn't a wrong way to, to schedule food prepping. Um, but I find that that is absolutely the best fit for what my life looks like. Because once I'm into like my Monday through Saturday schedule, I just don't have time to cook anymore because I'm so busy between work and then being with my daughter. Um, so I, food, I grocery shop on Saturdays and then I food prep for probably any, depending on what I'm making, um, anywhere from two to six hours every Sunday. And so it's tedious and it's time consuming. Uh, In the moment, I I don't totally love it. But on the back end of it, when it's finished, I'm always glad that I did it because of how much easier it makes my life during Mm -hmm. the week. Um, That way I, you know, granted, I'm pulling out leftovers from the fridge. um, But I know that I always have healthy, filling, nutritious, whole, whole food sources that I'm, that I'm going to be feeding to myself and my child. Um, so I food prep once a week for other people, um, food prepping two or three times a week is a really good fit and is a good schedule for them. And for other folks, just prepping a meal every single night for the following day can also be a good fit if you have the time to be able to devote to that. Um, and if you don't want to eat the same thing every single night. Sure. So for people that have never done food prepping and I, and I am one of those people, um, maybe I, I call it something different. Like, uh, yesterday I made a pot of stew and we'll eat that, you know, when we're at home for the next few days. Um, so to me, that's just making a meal and having leftovers. So I don't, I don't necessarily, food prep and and what I imagine as, you know, making um, these individual meals and having it in like a, an individual meal size container. So for people that have never done food prepping before, what are some examples of some really delicious um, things that you make that you look forward to? Because to me, it sounds like um, the image I have is like salads, which I'm not, I'm not a super salad person or, um, you know, something similar like that. So what are, your, what are some, some of your favorite goes-tos that uh, people could take away and do themselves? Sure. So I'm a big fan of easy. <laughs> Again, like simple, simple for me is always going to be better. So I, I don't think there's anything about food prepping that ever needs to be complicated. Um, so like last week, what I ended up doing was I took a, a, a bulk package of chicken thighs threw that in a frying pan and I just grilled it uh, on the, on the stove for myself, um, chopped up a bunch of vegetables and I baked them in the oven. So I had crunchy veggies all week. Um, and I paired that sometimes with rice and sometimes with a sweet potato. 
for my daughter. She, I mean, she's a typical six-year-old. So right now I feel like she's existing on macaroni and cheese, <laughs> but I'll always make that from scratch with my mom's oh, recipe. That's awesome. Uh, so because like I've tried to give her the box stuff a few times and she just doesn't want it. Um, so I, I always make homemade macaroni and cheese for, for her. And then I'll pair that with some fruit, some fresh cut up fruit, or, um, if she wants some fresh vegetables, I'll, I'll cut up some raw vegetables for her. Uh, and she'll just go to town on that. So, um, for lunches like this week, my plan, I bought canned salmon, uh, which can come in kind of the same format Mm -hmm. as tuna fish. And instead of tuna fish, I'm going to make a salmon salad for myself. Um, and either do that with Ritz crackers or um, a couple pieces of bread and just make a sandwich. So it's simple stuff that's easily accessible that feeds us the way that our bodies want to be fed. Certainly so. And I think that's an amazing point um, because I'm, I'm one of the people too. I find myself emotionally eating, whether it's out of um, uh, nervousness or excitement or frustration or... Uh, discouragement like name an emotion and I'll probably like want some ice cream for it and I think (laughs) eating eating for the way that our bodies need and want to be fed is if we broke it down probably on a much less frequency uh, much smaller frequency and smaller volumes of food you know absolutely um, we're not meant to eat you know a pound or two pounds of food in a a single meal and um you know three thousand calories for for a large pasta dish like we we literally don't need that much food at one time yep and so i think Mm -hmm. uh food prepping is an amazing way to get ahead of that and that way you know you have a preset amount and you know that's your meal and it also adds in a regular pattern and regularity and um expectation you know if um uh, for myself, I eat Chipotle probably five times a week and I get the same thing every time. And uh, mm-hmm. f- yeah, there are a number of, of reasons that I that I eat there so often. And um, it's it's similar to fruit prepping. It's quick, it's easy, it's relatively inexpensive by comparison to other options. Um, it's yep. healthy, it's uh, non-GMO, it's, you know, all of these things. And uh, I also don't have to decide what do I want to eat most days. And... Um, I think for most people, that's probably something that weighs on the mind. There's there's a lot of memes and stuff on the internet about couples arguing about what they want for dinner. It's often one of the biggest arguments, you know. And um, if Absolutely. you if you food prep, or you know, just even pre-plan your meals out on paper, um, it takes a lot of that away, and it takes a lot of the, I guess, the guesswork and the and the work out of it altogether. Yeah. And then the other thing that I, I, I agree. The other thing I'd add to that too, is that it takes away some of the urges to just grab the first thing that your hand hits because it's Mm -hmm. easy. Um, like last night I was having a craving for chocolate and I was going through my house for it. And I, my daughter is a Daisy Girl Scout right now. And so I have Girl Scout cookies coming out of my ears. It feels (laughs) like And so I went and pulled some Thin Mints out of my freezer last night because they're the best when they're frozen. But as I was opening up the package of it, I thought about it and said, you know what? I do want these right now, but let me just take two and put put the rest back into my freezer. And so that's what I did. When we think about 
you know, how easy is it for us to just grab the first thing because something emotionally, like what you were talking about before, is driving you to go get that. When we have something that's already prepared, ready to go, it's, it's so much easier to just say, let me just stop. Let me think about what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and either cut down how much I'm going to grab of this or redirect to something else. So that would, honestly, that would take me into the next thing of how, how I really work on taking good care of myself and how I talk about um, with my clients about how to take care of themselves. So I would also um, add in movement. And I like to talk about exercise more as movement than actually exercising. Um, when we change language of how we describe things, it, it starts to make things feel more accessible. So if I talk with somebody about, well, you need to exercise three times a week, that starts to feel like an obligation and it starts to feel like a lot of pressure. But if we change that language to just how are you moving your body, it, it starts to feel a lot easier and that we can actually attain that. So when I think about movement, I think about, you know, if I'm working as a therapist and I sit in session with clients for eight hours a day, I'm pretty sedentary. I can get up in between sessions and do a set of 10 air squats. And that's super easy. It's basic movement. You do a squat every time you sit down on the toilet or stand up from the toilet. Uh, so that's stuff that we need to know how to do anyway. So I can just go do that. And it's easy. It's accessible. And my body likes to receive that. Uh, if I'm getting up and down off the floor from playing with my daughter, that's movement. Or I can sit by the tub as she's in the tub and I can do a set of um, push-ups. So movement becomes much more accessible than I have to go exercise three times a week. Certainly so. I love that distinction because when most people think exercise, they, they probably picture something similar to what's in my mind, going to a gym and being intimidated mm -hmm. by all of the machines and people that look or are fitter than they are. And it's just, yeah. to your point, it's a sense of obligation. It costs a lot of money. Um, it's generally mm -hmm. inconvenient. You know, there's a lot of reasons that that could come up in, in that uh, kind of list of why I, I shouldn't or why I'll put it off. But if, when you translate it to, to simple movement like that and uh, what, my wife calls, you know, just simple functional movement that makes it a whole lot more accessible and, and easy for people, regardless of most people's uh, lifestyle or abilities. Like, you know, for some people, it might simply be moving their arms, you know, above their yep. head. For exactly. other people, it might be, yeah. you know, squeezing in some squats, like you said, or some, some jumping mm -hmm. jacks or some burpees or, you know, walking around for five minutes every hour or you know, when we bring it into that, that simplistic language, it, it makes it so much more available to, to anybody, regardless of where they are. And um, I, I love that. I love that you, you're spreading that. Yeah. And, you know, the, beyond that, there's so much science behind how movement helps us. You know, if we take away the, the obligation and the pressure kind of how, how you're describing that. If we take that stuff away to make movement more accessible, what actually happens when you do get in, say, 30 minutes of good movement, our, our bodies actually start to release um, something called growth hormones, 
which gets processed through your brain and through the chemistry that your brain uses to be able to do all the things that it does. And growth hormones impact the neurons and the neuron connections inside of our brain, and it actually makes it work better. So we think better when we're moving on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. We process better when we're moving on a regular basis. Our emotions are easier to regulate when we move on a regular basis. And so if we change the language around it to make this more accessible to the everyday person, then, you know, we're, we're going to make a healthier culture. Absolutely. Tim Ferriss talks about this a lot, how when he was in his early days um, working for a tech company, he would go and walk on, um, he would go walk around San Francisco if he had calls for three hours. And I think he probably still does something similar, but I know he talks about it in his podcast quite a bit of, you know, just kind of combining those things instead of sitting at his desk for three hours straight, he would just go walk around the city or walk around the park barefoot and ground himself. And why don't we all do that? You know, most of us that work in the Mm -hmm. corporate world are on conference calls or phone calls for, for a lot of the day, even, uh, even the two of us as coaches, you know, why would we not take that opportunity and go walk outside while we're listening and, and talking with people versus, uh, Absolutely. Sitting and staring at a screen because that's that's ultimately the new smoking, you know, is the new Mm -hmm. kind of the new phrase and and approach to sitting. And it just there are so many, so many benefits of of simple walking every day. And Mm -hmm. if you look at our bodies, you know, uh, evolution shows us that our bodies are meant to walk uh, frequently and and over long distances. And absolutely. And it, it's so helpful too. Like I'm, I'm thinking specifically right now about clients that I have. So when I work as a therapist versus as a coach, you know, a lot of my coaching is done online uh, with people really anywhere. But when I, when I work as a therapist, I have people come in to see me in my office and uh, I offer something called walk and talk sessions. And for, for, it's a voluntary thing. People don't have to do it if they don't want to. Um, but I have a walking path about two blocks down the road from where, where my office is. And anytime I go on a walk and talk session with clients, I'm always making observations to them about, you know, where they're at emotionally, what topic it is that they're processing in that particular session and how fast they're walking as a result of what they're processing. Mm -hmm. Our bodies want to be able to expel energy and process energy And we need to do that in physical ways. By the end of these walk and talk sessions, these particular clients, they they use that service that enjoy that. They are, they're always saying, I feel better. I'm just so glad I got outside. Yeah. Yeah. It just matters so much. Absolutely. And I know that, uh, that most people enjoy being outside when the the weather is nice, you know, whether it's a nice, uh, say spring or summer day, depending on, Mm-hmm. temperature sunshine etc but i enjoy being outside when it's rainy when it's stormy when it's cold when it's 115 degrees you know name the time and i i i, I never regret spending time outside and i just most of us spend most of our lives inside now you know in air conditioned or you know artificially conditioned air and mm-hmm. you know we're in uh living in texas we have a lot of a lot of good good weather days and 
you know, we, we open our windows, you know, in our home, if we're, if we're doing stuff inside, our windows are always open. So there's a nice fresh air breeze to come through there. And I don't see many people doing that. And I think that's something that, you know, again, we all have access to just like walking or, or doing some simple stretches or squats. And people used to design houses to, to uh, work with mother nature and the elements. And now, you know, with, with technology, it's come a long way, but it's also removed us from what we're innately connected to and reconnecting that. I think that's amazing that you, that you offer that service. And I'm sure it matters more than anybody could ever express to you just for that simple time. Well, and I so appreciate the points that you're making inside of just what your own habits are, you know, in terms of how you connect with nature and then keeping your windows open. You probably hear lawnmowers in the mm-hmm. background. Um, it's, it's spring here in Connecticut. And finally, it, we're in the low 50s today and I cannot get enough of right. it. So I've got my windows open, my neighbor's mowing his lawn and it like just having the fresh air come through my home feels reinvigorating. Absolutely. Um, you know, when we're so cooped up during the winter, it's freezing cold here in the Northeast and everything is just kind of stale and stagnant. There's so much to be said for just being able to get outside. And, you know, I love to garden. I'm going to be starting my garden probably in another month or so. Um, once the ground is totally thawed and there's, I won't garden with gloves on because I just love to get my bare hands into the dirt. Absolutely. There's so much uh, science behind that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. How we, how we communicate with the earth. And I mean, I might get a little hippy dippy with this, but how we communicate with the earth and just transfer nutrients back and forth from us to our planet, from our planet back to us it's so, it so matters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so many people are, are disconnected from that. Even if mm-hmm. uh, I've heard people my own age, and I'm 34, say uh, they don't care where their food comes from. They just want to be able to buy it at a grocery store and make it, in, make it and eat it as quickly and uh, with le- the least effort as possible. And that is so yeah. mind-blowing to me because to, to, to want to be so disconnected from what's going inside our body to nourish our life is like, how did we get to this point? You know, that's such a a broad question. I think it speaks. Absolutely. And I I think it speaks volumes too about, you know, how almost indoctrinated we are. I'm not sure if that's the exact right word, but that's the one that's coming to mind right now um, into this habit or, or expectation of ease. Mm -hmm. You know, we want ease of accessibility. And as a result of that, so, so much of the generations that are coming up now have forgotten about the value of what it means to actually put that effort into what the process of self-care really looks like. Definitely so. It's, um, yeah, it's different for everyone, but it, it, there seems to be like it could be an overarching theme of, of simplicity for most people mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Awesome stuff. So I, it, kind of the last thing that I would throw in there is, you know, thinking about how, cause we, we could talk about nutrition and movement and sleep and, and, you know, connecting to, to the earth. 
all day long. There's, there's so much to explore inside of that. But if we really talk about, you know, how do you use self-care to transition from a place of unhealth back to health, one of the most important pieces in there, not, not just in terms of taking care of my body, but for me in terms of full recovery was building an active uh, of active practice in, in really being intentional about how I'm compassionate towards myself. And so like, I, I'll tell my clients that I'm a recovering perfectionist <laughs> and <laughs> you know, it's so easy for us, for all of us to be our own worst enemies and beat ourselves up for, you know, the times that we think we're messing up or, or not doing something in the way that we're supposed to be doing it or not meeting an expectation. And it's when we, when we go to that place of, well, I'm not good enough because it's really simple to then immediately interrupt. Well, I don't, deserve to have this practice of self-care because I'm not good enough. So if we can come from a place of compassion, then it's so much easier to access this practice of self-care on a regular basis. I think that's an amazing point. I, there was, I'm trying to remember what, I forget who, who was talking about it. I believe it was on impact theory recently where mm -hmm. a lady was talking about, I think it was, a group of people within the Weight Watchers program or, or something similar where there were, there was um, a point scale. And if, uh, if they discovered if people in that program went over just say one to 5% over their daily allotment of, of points, then at that point they would just go all out and say, instead of eating one Oreo, they would eat 15 because they thought, well, mm. I've already messed up, so I might as well, you know, go all out and I'll start over tomorrow. But in reality, if yep. they just forgave themselves and have, or not even forgive themselves, just had a little bit of self-compassion say, you know what, I wanted those. I'm happy I, I'm happy I ate two or three or whatever the case is. And then continued mm -hmm. on a more level plane instead of just going, you know, having that spike and then starting over tomorrow, they would have been better off in the long run because they would have felt better about it without, you know, kind of beating themselves up and, you know, putting all the extra sugar and, and chemicals and things in their body. So it's really fascinating because I, I do think that most of us do need a, a little bit more self-compassion, you know. So what if we want five Oreos, you know, as long as it's not a habit yeah. or a problem, then go for it. Or whatever Absolutely. the case is you know, pick your poison. Yeah. Yeah. I, so there's one thing I, I had read this book called get rich, lucky bitch by Denise Duffield Thomas. And she um, talks about the Hawaiian practice and I'm probably going to say it wrong, but it's ho opo ono pono something to very that effect. close. <laughs> if that's not right. It's very close. <laughs> And it's, she talks about it as really just being a practice of reconciliation and forgiveness and that there's four elements to it of repentance, forgiveness, gratitude, and then love. And, you know, she, the way that she frames this out is, you know, her, her entire business is in regards to manifesting money. So she directs it as far as that goes. But if we just take the idea of 
you know, understanding like with repentance, I'm responsible for this. I'm responsible for this decision. I take ownership of it. Then there's, that begins the process of accountability for, okay, if I don't like this decision, how am I going to do it different in the future? Or if I do like this decision, how am I going to repeat it in the future? And then with forgiveness, it's all about just, I, I, I interpret that as just how can I be kinder to mm-hmm. me? Because I can be so hard on myself. And then with gratitude, it's just looking around at what we do get to have and say, okay, it's not as bad as it might feel sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there are all of these really good things. And then to end that with just being able to love on ourselves a bit more, I think it matters so much. And, it, you know, if we can talk about these things more in our society and to really understand the mindset of self-love and how that impacts the behavior. Hey, to join back on. Mm-hmm. There's some technical difficulties. So this is uh, the second and final part of this episode. So I'll splice those together. Um, we were talking about gratitude essentially as it relates to self-care and just having gratitude for, for things as a part of self-compassion. Absolutely. So I love people that I come across. Progress isn't meant to be linear. We're supposed to make mistakes. We're supposed to make poor choices because that's how we learn. And, you know, when we can look for the purpose in those moments it's so it becomes so simple to be grateful for the for the missteps that we can make because that's how we grow and we evolve. Uh, so everything serves a purpose. Everything has meaning, and to just be able to have a space in life where we can be grateful for all of that, even the dark moments, I, I, it's it's just beautiful. Absolutely, some of the most uh, profound teachers that we know in both currently living in our time and previously, you know, that are are part of our amazing history, they went through probably untold amounts of trauma and dark times and depression and struggles. And, you know, they, they turn that into, it's just like, uh, just like garden soil, you know, they turn that into beautiful art or beautiful uh, poetry or, you know, beautiful teachings or, or, you know, uh, then we go into like the scientific and mathematical eras like Einstein and Nikola Tesla and folks like that, you know, everybody, mm-hmm. everybody suffers as part of kind of being a human, but to turn it around into gratitude and being grateful for it, I think is kind of a next level, uh, spirituality sort of, sort of part of our journey. So I absolutely am a fan I of agree. that. That's something that we're trying to teach our son now, instead of uh, complaining about something, being thankful for it, you know, instead of complaining about having to clean his room to use a, a very common example, being thankful for the clothes and the toys and, and the room that he has, because not everybody has that. Or, you know, mm-hmm. instead of complaining about getting his own lemonade, being appreciative that we have a kitchen and he, that he has lemonade to drink instead of, you know, something that he does enjoy. Just little things like that. We're, we're trying to start ingraining. Uh, appreciation and gratitude yeah. in him because it's going to blossom into the so much more as an adult for myself. I turn, you know, um, uh, instead of saying, uh, I have to go to work today. 
saying, oh my gosh, I'm so appreciative of the job that I have. I get to go and, and, you know, do this today. And it just, yeah, sort of like making your bed to, to tie into the, the beginning of the episode. It just, it mm-hmm. just really sets the tone for everything. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a fan of complaining without doing something about it. And I think gratitude completely erases all of that. If you're appreciative of something, there's really nothing to complain about. Yeah, I 100% agree. I'm actually going to give you a, a weird example of that right now, too, of, of how I practice that. So I, um, as a self-employed person, I pay my taxes quarterly. I have to pay quarterly estimated taxes every single year, plus my year-end taxes. And tis the season, yeah. right? Uh, and this coming week, I'm taking two days off to do my year-end taxes. And... It is so easy, I think, for all of us to go to the place of, mm-hmm. it, like, it's that time of the year. I got to go get this done. And this year especially, I am working really hard on staying in a place of, I get to do this instead of, I have to do this. Because I, not everybody has the opportunity to do some of the things that, that I've been doing. And there, if I look at it as I get to do this, then it's such a strong reminder to be grateful for all parts of, you know, some of the the privilege that any of us get to experience and, um, and how that can show up even in the, the spaces that you might not be the most excited about. I think that's, that's such a good message. Because it Thanks. definitely is tax season. I've been trying to, to get mine done for six weeks. And it's just like something new comes up. And every time I, I have to find like a new document or, or something, uh, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, really? But I've never had to do this before. But then I think I'm appreciative of the level of, um, you know, follow through that, that the lady preparing my taxes has. And, you know, I, I turn it around very quickly. But my first instinct there is, yeah. oh, my gosh. But um yeah, so so yeah. it's very relatable probably to a lot of people right now. So I love that mm-hmm. example. What is one thing you would like people to take away from this episode if they if they heard nothing else? What would you like them to to get from this? Self-care is nothing that has to be complicated. Self-care is a behavior of intention, of love, and of attending to ourselves, our minds, our bodies, our spirits, to just rest and recharge so that we can be the best possible versions of ourselves. So simple and yet Mm -hmm. so needed for everybody. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. This is Kelly with the Anapology Project. And uh, where can people find you? At www.theunapologyproject.com. You can also email me at theunapologyproject at gmail.com. Awesome. I hope, uh, I hope we do this again soon. I always love having you on. For sure. Thanks, Thanks so, so much. Thanks so much, Kelly. All right. Have a Cheers. great day.